Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Angie Jones. Angie is a Principal Automation Architect, Director of Test Automation University, and is the creator of more than 25 patented inventions. Welcome, Angie. Thank you. Okay, before we do anything else, I have to ask, what have you invented? That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, mostly things around like collaboration software, uh, virtual worlds, smarter planet stuff, mostly software type ideas. Yeah, that is really cool. So with that, why don't you give us a background on uh, you and how you got started in the tech industry and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So um in school, uh, I guess before college, I wasn't exposed to computers and, you know, I, I didn't have this uh, whole industry as a, a, a something that was on my radar, right? I just had no idea that software engineering was even a thing. So I went to college really unsure of what I wanted to do. And um, I had to select a major. I just selected business because I figure. Whatever I figure out my life, like this should be applicable, right? Um, and my father, who was an accountant, he was able to see back then that, wow, this tech stuff is an emerging space and you should probably like take a computer class so that you at least know how to use those things. Because I think in pretty much all the jobs in the future, you're going to have to know how to use it. And he was right. So, um you know, me not knowing anything, if, it, if, if I saw the courses, this one said computer, fine, I'll take this course. And this happened to be a C++ uh, programming course. And nice. so I jumped in head first, you know, you, you can't be scared of something when you don't even really know what it is. So it's just like, whatever. And um, actually, I loved it. I did really well in it. And my uh, professor asked like why are you not a computer science major and I'm like I don't know I don't I don't know what that is right and so he explained it to me in the types of jobs that were available and I switched my major and I've been coding ever since that's that's pretty cool just uh randomly picking the c++ class and then (laughs) and then loving it that's awesome so now you're a principal automation architect what is that So um, I'm a developer advocate and I specialize in like testing strategies and techniques, right? So I do like full stack development, back end, front end. But the the thing that's really close to my heart is making sure we're building quality code. And so many people miss this part. Like I have a bachelor's and a master's in computer science and you know, there was no course really that taught me how to test my code. How do I make sure that I'm building things for the variety of users that need to utilize it and that it's of high quality, right? 
Um, and so when I, when I first started my uh, career, I joined IBM and I was hired for a back-end dev role. But by the time I got there, um, anyone who knows IBM knows like reorgs or like all the time. So by the time I got there, um, the team that hired me had done a reorg and that position was no longer available. So they were scrambling and trying to find something for me to do. And uh, there was this automation role. And so, uh, you know, come in with my, you know, undergrad education. I don't know what this automation stuff is. And they're like, oh, it's testing. Okay. That's not ringing any bells either. <laughs> you know, I'm like, do I get the code? Because, you know, I just finished this expensive degree and I want to write some code. And they're like, yeah, it's very much so a coding job. So like, okay, sure. And so that was my first job out of college. And oh my God, it strengthened me so much as a developer um, to have that experience as my first full-time role. Because what this did was expose me to the bigger picture. I wasn't just focused on designing this specific widget or, you know, developing one API. I needed to understand the overall product. I needed to um, empathize with our many different users, figure out who those personas are, and uh, make sure that we're building quality in. And so it was a very rewarding and strengthening experience, right? So not only did I uh, gain all of this empathy and how to build quality software and all of that, but I was also able to strengthen my architecture and development muscles in developing like this code base that essentially uh, tests our code, our APIs, if you will. When I got into the industry, I, I joined smaller firms, certainly nothing to the, the size and scale of, of IBM. So I worked for a number of smaller marketing agencies, a number of computer consulting agencies. We had teams devoted to quality. So we, we were very much siloed and we would write that the developers would write code. We would throw it over the wall to QA and then move on to something else. So early in my career, quality wasn't really associated with a developer task. It was a role that someone else was in charge of. And if our third host, John Ash, were here with us, his background is in engineering, in, in like aeronautical engineering, where they test the thing before they ship it. So it seems like it's coming around again that, oh, yeah, we actually need to test and validate and verify the, the code that we're writing. So we're all the development team together delivering quality. So what are the things to keep in mind as we as we remember that quality is everyone's job. Yeah. So I I worked during a period where there was this whole waterfall, uh, you know, uh, flow as well. And we're getting away from that as an industry for the most part, especially in some of the, you know, cutting edge younger shops where, you know, they're trying to release software multiple times a day. And so that doesn't work to be able to, you know, say, oh, I'm just going to write my code and then I'm going to give it to the, this other team of people um, who have no idea what I've written. And they'll take a week or two to test it and find all the bugs and then give it back to me where I, f you know, that just doesn't work anymore. Um, and so that's where automation comes in even more handy, um, even if you have different people. So I've 
that's what I've done most of my career as work, worked as that person who was focused on writing the test. So when I say test, I'm going beyond unit tests. So devs are usually okay about writing their own unit tests. But when you start talking about the integration test, the end-to-end tests, um, you know, all of those types of other tests that take quite a bit of effort and time, then it starts to make sense to have another person who's focused on writing that. But the key is it can't be in that silo anymore, John, and it can't be um, like separate tasks. So I work to help developers build that quality in. And even if it means we need to work together, give me the, you know, at the design phase, what are you thinking about building? And I can poke holes in that before you ever write your first line of code, you know, and that's wonderful because now your feelings aren't hurt because I'm saying your code is awful, you know. And so we get some of that stuff out of the way before we uh, write the code, which is way more cost effective and um, better for the overall quality of the app. Yeah, we're we're all smarter together. And if we all yeah. if we all come together to work together to to devise those features and deliver that that software then we're all better as a result yeah yeah so you mentioned unit testing and integration testing end-to-end testing uh and test automation do we want to spend a little bit of time on some of that just to define those terms and build on what is this overall test automation strategy yeah yeah sure so So, okay. So my role as a developer advocate, what I do is I travel the globe, um, working with all of the different tech companies, um, whoever asked me to come and spend time with the engineers there, like helping the craft, a test strategy, um, helping to develop their skills. Because like I said, no one's teaching us how to test this stuff in school or in our boot camps or even self-taught folks, you know, you're going for that JavaScript or that Java course or that Python, but not necessarily the testing one. So that's my role is to go in, okay, great. You know how to code. Let's make sure you're doing it right, you know, and, and building that quality in. Teaching, like, even what is a unit test, you know, a lot of devs might not have a problem with writing the unit test, but they're not really sure of where to begin helping people understand what should be tested, what should they be looking for, um, what's overkill for a unit test. So um, by my definition, a unit test is something I think of as like unplugged from everything else. You know, Um, I'm not hitting a database. I'm not hitting any APIs. I'm not hitting a, a user interface of any sort. It's this module or function um, that I'm testing in isolation, right? Um, And not just one test, you know, get creative here. Think about these different scenarios and personas and exercise that thing. Um, And the bulk of of your tests ideally would be at that level, right? Because if you can thoroughly test those units, you can catch most of your problems. But we all know, (laughs) I've seen plenty of memes where, you know, you have these integration tests where this unit starts trying to talk to this unit. And yeah, in isolation, they both work perfectly, but you try to put them together and a disaster happens. So that's also critical, but you don't need as many of those tests as you had at the unit level, right? So have some good scenarios there, you know, um, of course, your, your most 
traveled uh, journeys and paths, those things should be covered. And then um, you have your UI test. Some will call this your end-to-end. Um, there's varying opinions on what constitutes like an end-to-end test, but basically testing the UI. Now, here's where it gets like a little bit controversial because a lot of people will say, well, if I test at the integration level and I test at the unit level, I don't need to test at the UI level for what? You know, I've already tested the code. And my argument to that is your users are not at your API level and they're certainly not at your unit test level. It's wonderful that you tested all those things, but most of the goofy things we see as users are right there on the surface, right? And so, yeah, you don't have to spend a whole bunch of time and effort here, but make sure the thing looks right. Make sure, you know, um, it's actually calling the right API when you click this button, for example, you know? <laughs> um, so those things are important as well. Yeah, the the visual, the UI testing is, to me, the the hardest one to do. It takes so much extra effort and then you know you you just finished i don't know maybe 10 15 ui tests and then the business says oh um can we make that button blue and move it down beneath that paragraph and then all of a sudden you know all your tests broke because (laughs) the way that you were accessing the elements that you were testing has now changed and uh you have to go back and rewrite all those tests again how do you how do you combat that issue to to make it so that it's not quite so fragile? Is there a way? Yeah, yeah, and th- those are the exact things that I go in and talk about, right? So anyone can learn how to use like a UI um, testing tool or whatever, but those are the key problems. Like, how do you design this? test framework in a way that you're not constantly maintaining it because I've been in shops where that's become someone's full-time job just maintaining these scripts because the app is ever-changing. You're basically writing code against this ever-changing target, right? Um, And so there are design patterns and things you can use, things like page object model. I always slap people on the wrist if if they depend on the structure of the page in any way, right? Just like what you said, you'll see people who will try to access like, okay, I'm going to click this button by maybe asking Google Chrome DevTools what's the X path for this button, right? The thing about that is Google Chrome has no idea that you were going to take what it gave you and stick it into a script that you expected to run from now until eternity, right? It's giving you this ugly path that's just for right now. Um, So context matters. And if I know that I need to run this script over and over again, even as this application is changing, then it's not really the best idea to say, click the second button on this page, for example. And so using smarter locators, um, having developers consider testability when they're even writing their code. Like, so if you're a front-end person um, and you're writing some new UI components, it's if you want this to be testable at the UI level, you need to build in things like IDs and stuff like this um, that are unique so that I can say click button 
that says ID login. I don't care if that's the second button. I don't care if that's down at the bottom of the page or at the top. It doesn't matter for my script because um, you've given me a good way to get a handle to it. So just like on the back end side or on, on a unit test side of things, you're, you're more interested in the in the behaviors at that point, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I also give um, other strategies to kind of cheat the system. So while we want to test the user behavior, if it's not like an in-the-end test, say like I just need to test submitting a form or let me let me give a realistic example. I want to test um, that I can increase the quantity of a product in my shopping cart, right? All right. So if you think about this and you try to do this from the UI level, well, you have to get to the product. So you'll usually see people do stuff like, okay, let me uh, go to the search. Let me search for this product. And then my script is going to look through the search results. It's going to find the product I'm looking for. It then needs to click on that product. It needs to, then I'm taken to a product page. Then I need to click on the button to add that to the cart and then I need to click on the cart and then I go to the cart and now I can test what I need to test. Well, you've opened up a lot of cans of worms that can go really wrong, right? Um, The UI is the most fragile part of the application. And so if any of those things are broken, say search is broken, for example, now your test, that test, if you can increase the quantity in a cart, is blocked. That doesn't make yep, along, sense. Along with hundreds of other tests. Hundreds of other tests. So now I'm blocked because search is not working? What does the cart have to do with search, you know? And that's goes back to how you design your test. I often say, like, writing tests is still software development. You can't throw these tests together. And I see this all the time. I see the best developers, and they are be writing this beautiful production code. And then when it comes to write the test, they're just slapping everything together and it's a big old mess and it's spaghetti code and it's not maintainable, right? (laughs) Um, And this, all of the thoughts about architecture, clean code, all of that stuff should still apply to your test code as well. So skip all of that stuff. Like if I were to write that test, I'm going to figure out how do I skip as much of that on the UI as possible? Is there an API I can call to just stick this thing in a cart? Great. Now I bypass search and clicking on the product page and all of that foolishness. And I can get to the heart of the matter, which is increasing the quantity in the cart. Many, many years ago in my career, I used to jokingly say, those problems are future John's problems. Uh, you know, we'll slap the thing together and put that out there uh, until it wasn't a joke, until I burned myself one too many times and realized that I need to be more kind to my future self by, yeah. by doing the right thing up front. So what are the tools available to get to that point? Because I know that, especially if we're talking about different languages, if we're talking about JavaScript frameworks and libraries for Angular and React, and there's Jest and and React Testing Library and Cypress and, and all those things, how do we choose the right tools for the thing that we're trying to accomplish? Right. There's so many tools and people, you know, fall in love with one of them and try to use it for everything. And it becomes that something about a hammer and a nail and 
You know, and so I'll get questions sometimes. For example, Selenium. Selenium is like the king automation tool. It's just web automation. You can use it for whatever you want to use it for. It's mostly used for testing. So people will use Selenium to test their web. And what it does is it's an API that gives you handles to web elements, buttons, and all of this thing. It allows you to click and interact with the page. And often people will learn this. They're a test automation person. And you get questions like, how do I use this to do like my API testing? And the answer is you don't, you know, this is not the tool for that. You get another tool for that. And uh, people need to be more open to filling up a toolbox, right? Um, So I know a lot of different tools, especially as someone who does automation, because it's funny, you'll have like teams that will hire an iOS expert to do their uh, iOS app. And they'll hire a Java or a Kotlin expert to do their Android app and a front-end guru for the web and then, you know, a rock star back-end person for the API. And then me, I need to be able to test all those things, right? And I can't use the same tools for all of those. So I used to work at Twitter and I had to support multiple teams, the iOS team, the Android team, the backend team, the web team. And in any given day, I needed to pick up different language. Like I need to code in different languages within a day. Like, okay, I need to do Java for an hour. Then I need to jump to Swift. And then I need to go over here to uh, Python or something, you know? Um, So it was a lot trying to juggle it all. And the, the key is to nail the concepts and the fundamentals. And then it doesn't matter which tools I use, right? Um, If I know like different design patterns to use, if I know like how to write clean code, it doesn't matter like which language or which tool I'm using. I can apply those concepts. And similar to, to like learning a new programming language. Once you, once you know how to program like at its core, yeah, I tell people that all the time. You know, you nail down the the components of of programming, right? Um, I was I used to teach as an adjunct professor, and one of the courses I taught was a programming course, but we didn't use a programming language. And the students would get a little huffy about that because you know you can't really put that on your resume, you know. <laughs> but It was good because it taught them the fundamentals before you jump into a language. Like you learn about conditional logic. You learn about uh, repetition and loop structures. You learn about data structures and variables and stuff like this before picking up a syntax to a language, you know? So what about the the automation of going through visual validation, going through UI testing, going through unit testing and integration testing. Right. So the automation, um, this is fun, right? This is where you essentially write the code that interacts with your application as you imagine a user would. And like I mentioned earlier, you might take some shortcuts so you don't take the exact path, but it's really cool. Like, for example, if I did want to automate that end-to-end scenario, I could do that. So I could write the code that essentially goes to that web page and does the searching and blah, 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 blah. 
all of the actions. And sometimes I'll just let that run and maybe call my husband who's not in a techie and like, look at I made that page do, you know, and it's kind of running like a robot, you know, it's just doing things. Um, <laughs> so that's the automation um, part of it all. It's really fun. It's exciting work um, to do. One of the things that some developers use to kind of stay away from testing is is the the time that it takes, right? Like, oh, I don't have time for that. Or, you know, maybe you've got a test suite. It's got 10,000 tests in it and it completely tests the application, but nobody runs the tests because they take 15 minutes to run. With the visual testing and the automation of that, I know from experience that uh, sometimes like Selenium can be fairly slow. But back in the day, like if you ran it on, oh, it was like Internet Explorer 9 or something. It was way, way back it would actually go like snail speed. Like it was, it was super terrible. Is there, is there a way nowadays to run those visual tests without having to like sit there and stare at them and take up your development time where you could be doing something else? Is this, is this now something that is done at DevOps? It, are the developers still doing this? The whole DevOps piece is really key to how we develop software nowadays. So that's just unacceptable. Like we just do not have time to sit around waiting for an hour for a bunch of tests to run. And like you said, you know, some shops that's several hours for that to run. So um, that's another thing that I try to teach is how to optimize your tests so that, you know, they're fast. They have to be fast. That has to be like a key component that you're considering when you're writing these tests. Like, how do I make this faster is a constant question in the back of my mind. And that could be with the shortcut. So instead of doing all of this button clicking, let's hit an API and get to where we need to be and speed this thing up. That could shave off two minutes from one test, right? You have a couple of hundred of this, that's a lot of time. Um, other things like waiting strategies. So Selenium is much faster nowadays um, and sometimes too fast. So for example, let's say I click on some button and a modal is supposed to appear um, and my script is verifying what's on that modal. From the time of click to verification, um, Selenium has moved on. And my script is like, nope, nope, it wasn't there. And it's like, wait, wait, give it a, a moment. It came up, you know. And so you have to even code this type of thing in to say, okay, we click this and then we have to wait for the modal appear. But even those wait strategies um, come with a cost. So you have to be really strategic about those as well. So it's not just... You'll see people sometimes just put like a thread dot sleep or a pause or something in there. Uh, give it like one second and then do it, right? The thing is that one second starts adding up when you have a thousand of these tests, right? Um, and sometimes that's not enough. If you were running this, we're not, we're no longer running just on our local machine, right? We're running as part of builds and different uh, environments and stuff. And some may be faster, some may be slower. So you don't even know if it's one second. If it's 1.1, this is now failed. So wait strategies that are waiting conditionally, like just wait for the modal to appear. But you have to code in that type of logic to be able to do that. So that's something that can stabilize your test as well. 
Now, when we talk about visual testing, visual testing is different than just UI testing. So the UI testing um, tools, your Selenium, your Cypress, uh, all of the cool kids that are popping up on the block, the Test Cafe and the Playwright and all of these guys, um, all of these tools interact with the DOM, which is under the UI. Right. So the DOM is basically where we write everything that that tells the browser how to present this information. So, for example, I can say, uh, hey, Selenium, get the title of this page. And then I'm going to use another tool to verify to do the assertion. Right. Is this title what I'm expecting it to be? And. Selenium is going to get that title from the DOM, some maybe, you know, element that says title or H2 or something like that. And it's going to, I'm going to check it. And it's going to say, yep, it's perfect. But what does perfect mean? And this is where the visual, it's above just your UI testing. The visual testing is actually looking at the surface and saying, yeah, the title is there, but it's kind of bleeding off the edge of the page or it's the same color as the background. So your user can't see it, Goofy. Or, you know, yeah, it's there, but there's this other big component that is on top of it. So, you know, you can't really interact with it. So that's where the visual piece comes in. And you couple this with um, your regular UI testing. So, you know, interact as you want to. Use Selenium for the engagement, like clicking the buttons and all of this stuff. But when you're ready to verify, instead of looking in the DOM, which is kind of misleading, you look at the UI as your user would, and this will um, basically essentially take like a picture, which is a baseline image when it's in the state that's good to go. And then on regression runs, it takes another picture and compares the two pictures. Now with this, less coding, Clayton, and this is faster to do because now I the engineer, I don't have to think of all of the scenarios I should be testing for. Like, for example, let's say if I wanted to increase the, the quantity, that test I was talking about earlier. Well, I, my script might just say, okay, I click the up arrow and instead of one, now it's two. Well, did the price change? Did the tax change? Did all of these other things update as well? Because that's important as well. So now I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. Okay, I got to add that to my script. I, and then it's all of these assertions. Whereas the picture, I like to say a picture is worth a thousand assertions because it's going to basically take care of everything that I thought of and that I didn't take, think of as well. So that's visual testing. Okay, so with, with that... Uh, if it's if it's basically taking a picture and then comparing that to a picture that was taken before, how do you deal with like those unexpected differences? Like Susie over there was playing with the CSS and she changed the drop shadow on all of the modals. Yeah. And so now I've got all these failing tests. But when I look at the pictures, I don't see a difference. Is there... Uh, can the computer highlight the differences? Or? Yeah, it highlights the differences. So it's like a fun little spot the difference came. And it shows you the previous image and the new image. And then it like 
It's a bouncy highlight on them to say, here's what changed. Applitools, who is who I work for, um, they make visual testing, the a visual testing API. And with um, that API, you can even see the root cause. So I can then say, okay, I'm still not really seeing the difference, or maybe I do see it, but I don't know why that's changed. And you can say, show me the root cause of this. And it'll say, oh, Clayton changed the CSS from this to this. And that's why it's broken. It's like, okay, got it on it. You know, See, he tried to blame Susie and it was really him. He did. And it was his, it was his code. But I do this exercise, Clayton, where I, um, I take like a grid of products and I run a test on that without the visual testing. And then I go into the CSS, I do a transform in there, and I turn, uh, I rotate the books 180 degrees. So they're literally upside down, right? This is one line of CSS. I flip the entire application on its head. And then I run that same test without the visual testing to say, you know, we got tests. We're good to go. And I show where that test does not catch that because what is the test saying? Is the book there? Is the title there? Is the author there? Is the price? Yes, yes, yes. It's all there. It's all the correct value because it's looking in the DOM. So you add the visual aspect to that and now we can see like, yeah, those products are there, but girl, they're upside down. (laughs) (laughs) And and you're like, okay, I get it now, you know, and I see visual bugs all the time. I get sometimes people say, well, that's pretty cool, but you know, we don't really have those issues. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Everybody does because I see them in like all of the big top tech companies and Apple and Amazon and Google and Facebook and Twitter and everybody has these goofy things happen, especially when you start talking about different viewport sizes. So, you know, going from web to the phone or iPad or something like that, that, this is hard work. Like I said, I do full stack. And when I do front end, I'm always so humbled (laughs) because (laughs) no matter how great I think I am as a developer, like this stuff kicks my butt because you have to account for all of these different browsers and viewport sizes and stuff. So where does this belong in the testing pyramid or or is the testing pyramid still valid that we spend more time on on unit tests and more of them at that level and then fewer at integration fewer at end to end is is this the the point of the pyramid? Yeah, the um the pyramid is definitely still valid and if I had to say where this goes it would go like at the UI level maybe even above it like a new layer to the pyramid. So I'm more tempted not to add that new level and then just integrate it in the UI level. But I've seen people make the arguments and make it its own layer as well. The reason I integrate it is because it's still the UI. I'm just using a different tool to verify it. So instead of verifying it at the DOM level, I'm verifying it um, at the surface level with the picture. Right. That's just a matter of tool, but it's still this it's still testing the same thing. So where do we go from here? What do are there any getting started resources for coded UI tests for visual testing? Yeah, so I'm the director of Test Automation University, and this is an online platform with free courses on all things testing because like I said, 
we didn't get this education in school or, you know, our boot camps or whatever. And so this resource um, provides courses on unit testing, on integration testing, API testing, um, web testing, mobile testing, uh, the visual testing. I personally teach uh, the Java course for that. And we have these courses in various languages. So Java, Python, JavaScript, C Sharp. Uh, there's some Swift for the iOS uh, course, Ruby, you know, the work. So there's a little something for everyone. Definitely check that out. The web address is testautomationuniversity.com. And, um, yeah, you enroll for free. All the courses are free forever. And uh, pick just jump in. There's paths as well. So if you are a JavaScript front-end, uh, you know, developer, for example, and you want that path, we have all of that listed out for you, the courses in the order that we recommend you take them in. And not only the tool part, so I'm really big on um, – practical stuff, but I'm also really big on making sure that you understand like the theory and the strategy behind things before jumping in. So every path starts off with the course that I teach, which is uh, the fundamentals of automation. And so this one helps you think about what's your goal, because sometimes we'll see people start an automation strategy and the goal becomes to automate. So they just, they're just blindly automating scripts and you then now have thousands of these low value tests that are breaking your build all the time. And then you shut the whole thing off because you're like, this was a flop and a mistake, right? So I help you think about how do you, you know, come up with your goal, what your goal should be. And then how do you align to that? How do you make sure you have the culture there in the company to support this initiative? You know, how do you maintain these tests and all? How do you pick the right tool, for example? So um, all of the courses are pretty reasonable in length. Um, that course is like 45 minutes. So you can take that like on a lunch break. Um, you know, most of the courses are about an hour long. Of course, the programming course. So we have programming ones too. If you know anyone who wants to like learn how to code or pick up a new language, send them over there. We have um, those courses as well. Excellent. Even though it sounds kind of like you accidentally became a developer and loved it, <laughs> it feels like you've kind of nailed your career from, from then on. What advice would you give to uh, developers that are maybe just getting started or even just thinking about becoming a developer or uh, people who are already a developer, maybe they've been one for a while, but they want to kind of get their career moving and advance to the next level? For the newer folks, I would say don't spend a lot of time trying to master one specific thing. This industry changes so often. Uh, by the time you master a tool, everybody is saying how that tool is played out and we shouldn't be using it anymore. <laughs> so don't even try to model your career around a tool. I would almost even argue like, don't do it for a language either. Like you can definitely specialize in something. I specialize in Java, but I've learned enough to know how to pick up JavaScript when I need it, how, I, how to use Python, how to use, uh, you know, whatever. So it's about learning. It's about 
filling your tool belt with different types of tools. And you can certainly find something that you love. Like I found automation, testing. Um, I found Java. These are the things that I'm very passionate about. So that's where I spend a lot of my energy on. But I'm also very open to learning other things. I'm constantly learning new skills, new frameworks, new tools, new languages. And that's what this industry is all about, right? Someone who can adapt. Um, Not that you have to be a generalist and know everything, but it's so key to learn the fundamentals. For me, I think the fundamentals will take you so far because it doesn't matter. I, I don't feel afraid to pick up a new tool or a new framework because I know how to model problems and I know how to rely on, you know, those fundamental skills. And it's just a matter of Googling, how do I write this in JavaScript at this point, you know? Um, So that's what I would recommend for the newer folks. For the older folks, (laughs) it's probably the same advice because sometimes we'll see like um, more seasoned developers and they're like, nope, I know Java. And Java is it and Java is king, you know, and I'm not picking up anything else. I don't want to hear from the new bloke that they just hired who's coming in here with all these new ideas and these fancy tools and frameworks. We've done it like this forever. We're going to keep doing it like this. And that's toxic as well. So um, I think just being open, um, that is uh, his really helped elevate my career. Um, Being open to learning new things. And I'm always just reading, even if I don't have time to play with something, you know, Um, it's crazy times right now. We're all busy. We're all stressed. So you might not have the time or energy to devote in picking up something new, but I try to like listen to podcasts, read an article here and there, just so that I'm aware of what people are talking about and what's new in the space. Excellent. Thank you. If somebody wanted to, to reach out to you, maybe find out more about automated testing or, or uh, visual automation, do you have any social media or anything that they could contact you at? Yeah, I have a blog where I write about test automation strategies and techniques, and that is angiejones.tech. And I am also on Twitter. I pretty much live on Twitter. Um, <laughs> my handle there is techgirl1908. And then I'm Angie Jones on LinkedIn uh, with like that pink thing on right there. <laughs> That's pretty much my picture, that pink sweater. So any of those platforms, um, you can find me. And on my, my blog, there is a contact link as well. So if you're not on social media and you just want to maybe shoot me an email, there's that option as well. Excellent. Thank you, Angie. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. That was Angie Jones. Angie is Principal Automation Architect, Director of Test Automation University. She's an international keynote speaker and Java champion, and is the creator of more than 25 patent inventions. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach your potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash.